Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Good evening. It is Wednesday evening, April the 19th, 2023. And we are still on chapter 17. We're going to be on 17 tonight and probably next week, at least part of next week. Someone asked me a question a while ago. He said, how long have you been studying this topic? I said, I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Forever. And he said, do you still learn stuff? And I say, every time I open the book, every time I read a historical record, I learn something new. Every time I study, I learn something new. And I've learned a lot just just for studying for this class in particular. Uh, I guess on, on on a personal note, I started off not not believing what I currently believe today as far as Revelation is concerned. And when I took my first class, I did a complete 180. Well, the class was a good class, but it wasn't as detailed as as what we're doing in this class. And there were some things that the, the teacher had some opinions as well. And I found that over the years... As I study history, as I study Revelation, as I study different material having to do with Revelation, I have found myself changing my mind about about some things that I used to believe. I used to be an advocate of one of the dates that the book of Revelation was written. I discovered after reading multiple historical records that we don't know when this book was writ- was written, so I had to I had to back up and change that. So you are looking at the poster child here of change when it comes to the Book of Revelation, and even for this class, there were things that I did not know that I had to change. Uh, John on the island of Patmos, I had to change some of my views concerning that because it just was not lining up with what history says. So yes. I'm continuing to learn, and I am continuing to change. Chapter 17. Well, before we get to chapter 17, I would like to go through a list with you. These are names of Jesus in the book of Revelation. And out to the side is the verse where you will find these references. These names of Jesus, there's 37 of them. We'll name. I'll read them all off in case in case you can't read the small print. Jesus Christ, faithful witness. By the way, I will add this. Some of these are going to sound familiar to you because they're in some of our songs, which is excellent. Jesus Christ, faithful witness, first begotten of the dead, prince of the kings of the earth, alpha and omega, beginning and the end, first and last. Son of man, he that lives and was dead, He that holds the seven stars, he that walks amidst the golden candlesticks, he who has the sharp sword with two edges, son of God, he which searches the reins and hearts, 
He that has the seven spirits of God, he that has the seven stars, he that is holy and true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts, he that shuts and no man opens, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, Lord, Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, uh, Ben Hooten actually mentioned that in a, in a class last year. Do you remember that? He talked about how Jesus was the root of David. A lamb as it had been slain, the lamb, Lord of lords, king of kings, faithful and true, rider of the white horse, the word of God, Christ, the God of the spirits of prophets, the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. One of these in particular was interesting. When I researched it, I, I was surprised what I saw. He who searches the reins and the heart, the hearts. Chapter 2, verse 23, this word reins, the, it's, it's, it's referenced 3510 in Strong's Concordance. N-E-P-H-R-O-U-S, that's the English, English transliteration of this word. Do you know what this word actually means? Translated literally from Greek? I did not know this. That is the word for kidney, like organ. That surprised me. So I, I did a little research on it, and I found a couple of paragraphs that's rather interesting. It says, in the books of the Bible following the Pentateuch, expect, ex, mostly in Jeremiah and Psalms, the human kidneys are cited figuratively as the site of temperament, emotions, prudence, vigor, and wisdom. In five instances, they are mentioned as the organ examined by God to judge an individual. One of those places is right here in Revelation. In the Old Testament, most frequently the kidneys are associated with the most inner stirrings of emotional life, but they are also viewed as the seat of the secret thoughts of the human. They are used as an omen metaphor, as a metaphor for moral discernment, for reflection and inspiration. You say you learn something new every time you study Revelation? That was something brand new I did not realize so if you go and see the reins, that's actually a pretty good, pretty good translation for that word, since the kidneys is used as a metaphor. The reins and the hearts. Okay, we discussed how to, how to research God's view of a non-repentant sinner, and we talked about the kings of the earth last week. Today, I, tonight, I hope to get through bottomless pit nicknames and the ten kings. Hopefully we'll be able to get through all, all three of those tonight without rushing too much. This is a diagram that should look familiar to you. We discussed it back, I don't know, lesson two, lesson three, maybe even lesson one. We were talking about what does the Bible say versus premillennialism concerning the afterlife. And what the Bible actually says about the afterlife is quite simple. It's, not, it's nowhere near as complex as premillennialism. Uh, Luke chapter 16 in first, Sam, in first Samuel 28, we have a place called Abraham's bosom and a place called torment. We talked about Abraham's bosom being a place of comfort and peace, 
We talked about Jesus on the cross telling the thief that you will be with me in paradise. We haven't talked much about torment. Tonight, we're going to talk about the the bottomless pit, the characteristics of the bottomless pit as mentioned by Revelation, and see if we can come to some conclusion as to what this bottomless pit actually is. Is it torment? Yes or no? Now, in Revelation, this bottomless pit is A-B-Y-S-S-O-U, Reference number 12 in Strong's Concordance. The definition of this word is boundless, bottomless, or unfathomable depth. And you're going to see this Greek Greek word translated three different ways. It's going to be abyss, bottomless pit, or if you go to BibleHub.com, you'll actually see it in the first two verses that we're going to cover as pit of the abyss. The Jewish usage usage of this term is home of evil spirits. Let's look at some verses now. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 and 11. Uh, Verse 1 is where the star fell from heaven and was given the key to the bottomless pit. Verse 2, he opened the bottomless pit and great smoke smoke like a great furnace came out and it darkened the sun. In verse 11, it says that the king of the bottomless pit is called Abaddon in Greek and Apollyon, I'm sorry, Abaddon in Hebrew and Apollyon in Greek. And we we discussed how the translation of those words is destruction or the destroyer. Chapter 11, verse 7 says that the, the beasts coming out of the bottomless pit are going to make war against the saints, overcome them, and kill them. And then we have Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. It says that the the beast will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. This word perdition is hell, I guess. It means a place where you are doomed to eternal misery. You're going to perish, destruction, or can be hell as well. It looks like in the book of Revelation, it appears, especially from chapter 17, verse 8, that the bottomless pit is the first stopping place on the way to perdition or hell, to spend eternity in hell. Let's go outside of the book of Revelation for a second and see if we can get, get some additional information that backs up that claim. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into change to be reserved unto judgment. And then the verse continues on. That word, cast them down to hell, the word is actually T-A-R-T-A-R-O-S-A-S. I don't know how to pronounce that. But that word is actually translated literally an abyss. Whatever this abyss is, that is a waiting place for evil spirits for judgment. Is this abyss the same as the bottomless pit? Here are the characteristics we have. We know in the bottomless pit there is a thick smoke that rises like a great furnace. If you go back and read the story of the rich man and Lazarus, what does the rich man say? He is tormented in this flame. That is consistent 
with what Revelation says about the bottomless pit. Number two, Satan is a high-ranking demon, controls the pit. He is Abaddon and Apollyon, the destroyer. That would be consistent because the abyss, uh, the bottomless pit, are places for evil spirits to reside. The beast from the abot- the beast from the bottomless pit wars against the saints, so obviously the, the, the residents are evil. The beast from the bottomless pit will go into perdition. The bottomless pit and the abyss mentioned in Second Peter look like it appears to be the first stopping place, a waiting place before judgment and before being tossed into heaven, into, into hell. Now, in the book of Revelation, you're not going to necessarily see the word hell pop up very often, if at all. What you're going to see is the words lake of fire to represent hell. So, are the abyss, torment, and the bottomless pit the same place? Well, what do you think about that? Do any of you have any more insight? I would say yes, because the characteristics of each of them are consistent across the board. Is that what you're seeing too? Yes, sir. Let's, 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 let's give you a microphone here. So when we say that Satan controls the pit, um, I guess you go into Revelation 9, where it talks about... Uh, in verse 11, they have the king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is called Apollyon. Is that right? Let's go back. Let's go back, and there it is. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so he's he's king over the. You know, it's the locusts that are like horses prepared for battle, but whether he controls the people there. I don't know whether he controls the pit. Do we know that? Because he's in torment in the pit. So he's not like in control of what's going on necessarily. Is that right? I think, I think what you're saying is right. Um, yeah, I didn't mean to leave the impression that he's in control of everything there. He is a, he is a resident just like everyone else. He's the king, figuratively speaking, because he's Satan. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. I don't think he's in control. If he was in control, then he could control whether or not he was there or not. And we know that when God puts a soul somewhere, that's where it's going to stay. It's not going to go anywhere. In fact, if you look at um, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, to save the souls of his five brothers was not even a good enough reason for God to let him go back to earth. When your soul is put there, that's where it's going to stay. Yes, sir. Let's get you mic'd up here. Because the people on the internet send me messages every now and then telling me to let people talk. Um, at this point in which we're talking about you know, the this is this is is this considered the Hadean period or the 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 point the the period after death but prior to the final judgment? And and this place where where the souls occupy it's bottomless, meaning it's unending, but it has a fixed time. 
Yep. I believe your interpretation is correct. Um, we haven't got to chapter 18 yet. Chapter 18 is going to prove to us that Armageddon is not the end of the world. Armageddon is not the final judgment. Because in chapter 18, there's still people living on the earth going about their business. So yes, chapter 16 and chapter 17 are not the end of the world. They are not the final judgment. These are holding places for evil, just like paradise is a holding place for for the saints. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because you re- you remind me of something that someone told me back when I first moved to Huntsville. There was a lady that I worked with. She said, and I'll give her credit for studying or or whoever told her this for studying it. This cannot be proven. It's just it was just her opinion. She said one of the bad characteristics of this bottomless pit when you go there. Besides just the evil creatures being there, is the fact that you are going to be tossed into a bottomless pit and you're going to feel the sensation of falling until Judgment Day. So if you don't like the sensation of falling, you will definitely not like the the bottomless pit because that's what you're going to feel when you get there. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's interesting. But yes, a bottomless pit, yeah. Why it's bottomless, I don't know. Yes, sir. Well, the sensation of falling is a human feeling. I don't. I doubt it's a soul feeling. I don't know if your soul can feel falling. I am scared to death of heights. It's not because I'm scared of heights. It's because I'm scared of that sudden stop at the bottom. And um, my wife and I, uh, several years ago, learned how to rappel. And I was literally shaking. My whole body was shaking. It was only a 30-foot tower, and I was scared to death. So I definitely don't want to go here. Any other comments? Yes, sir. Would you get the impression from the word bottomless pit that it can never be filled? I don't know. I'll ask you that question. Uh, you know, you're talking about the, the spiritual realm here. So I don't, I don't know what bottomless means in the terms of spiritual. I don't know. I don't know. Good question. You know, in the New Testament, we read about the demon-possessed people and, of course, Christ casting out demons. But the Hebrews, Hebrew people seemed to think that these demons were the spirits of evil men who came back from the bottomless pit. That's interesting because there is a premillennialist doctrine that says Nero is going to come back and that he's actually... 
the beast. And he's going to actually come back and exact vengeance against Israel. So he's one of the evil, the evil that, are, that's, that was sent there and is going to come back. But yeah, you're right. You're right. And in the book of Revelation, um, I believe James referred to this. He said that um, these evil creatures, these evil demons, came out of the bottomless pit to gather an army together to fight God. Of course, we know that's not literal. It's not physical. It's a spiritual. We're using a... God uses a physical description to describe something that's spiritual because we just don't have the ability to understand the spiritual side because we haven't been there. We haven't experienced it. We don't know what it's like. But yeah, the bottomless pit is where all the bad guys go. And that's where the armies were gathered together to, to, uh, to, to fight God. Any other comments? Yes, sir. That, that particular verse says um, they will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would that be torment or would that be hell? I haven't studied that verse in a while, so I, I don't remember. Did I see a hand over here? Okay, I thought I saw one. Okay, well, good comments. Thank you. Um, let's keep going through here. It looks like it looks to me like these are the same places. They are a waiting place, a holding tank for evil, waiting for the day of judgment to come. It appears that Abraham's bosom may be the same place as paradise, and it appears that paradise is where these murdered saints are beneath the altar of God before the throne of God. If that's true, then that means paradise is a subset of heaven. Is the abyss, torment, and bottomless pit the same place? I would have to say yes. All the characteristics of all three seem to be consistent with each other, and they even share some some characteristics as well. Nicknames. Nicknames is as southern as fried chicken and biscuit and gravy. Some of you may actually be called by your nickname instead of the given name on your birth certificate, in fact. Yeah, um, I have a nickname for my kids. I gave them to them when they were babies, and I still call them by those names about as much as I call them by their given name. We all like nicknames. One of the most common places to use nicknames, I have discovered, is if you are an ESPN announcer talking about college football, and where else has more nicknames than the Southeastern Conference? Uh, You don't ever hear the ESPN announcers say the University of Alabama is going to travel south to Auburn University in whatever the place is, Auburn, yeah. I started to say Opelika in Auburn, to play a football game. No, they're going to say the boys from T-Town are headed down to the Plains for the Iron Bowl. Nicknames. All of the Southeastern Conference teams have a nickname. It's either their stadium, or it's their city, or it's their state. University of Kentucky, their city, and their stadium do not have nicknames. So 
but they just use Bluegrass State. You have University of Tennessee, Rocky Top. Vanderbilt, they have to use their, they have to use their city, Music City. I have heard ESPN announcers on a few occasions call the Arkansas Razorback Stadium the hog pen. Have y'all heard that? Or did I just dream that? I believe I remember hearing them say that. Of course, you have LSU Tigers and the Clemson Tigers. They call their stadium Death Valley. You have the Florida Gators. They're the swamp. You have Texas A&M called the home of the 12th man. My brother actually got a master's degree from from there years ago, and he told me one reason that he heard that it's called home of the 12th man, and then I've heard other reasons too, so I'm not exactly sure why they call it that, but that, that's what they call it. Georgia, you're playing between the hedges. Uh, we already talked about Kentucky. Missouri, I always thought this was strange. Missouri has the nickname of Mizzou, and they call, they call their stadium the zoo. It's a, it's a play on words, the zoo, Z-O-U. And of course, you have you have some stadiums outside of the SEC, like uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes. They call their their stadium the Horseshoe because it's actually in shape of a horseshoe, even though they filled in the end zone with a stadium. And of course, you have the Michigan Wolverines. That's the big house. We love our nicknames. Question: What was the nickname for Rome? What was Rome's nickname used especially by the Greeks, apparently? But it was a, it was a well-known nickname for Rome back at the time that the book of Revelation was written. Hmm? Okay, that's one, yeah. Revelation uses the word Babylon and Egypt, both, to refer to the city of the villain of Revelation. But yeah, you're right, you're right. That, that, that's one that's used by Revelation. I don't know if, that, if actually that name stuck with the Greeks or not, but that's actually one used by Revelation, yes. What's one that is, was not, that's not used um, metaphorically by Revelation that the Greeks actually used? Their nickname was the city that sits on seven hills or seven mountains. Now, Revelation is going to call the, the, the name of the city of the villain of the Revelation, Babylon and Egypt. That's the way it refers to it. Um, here are those seven hills. Now, there are a lot of cities in the world who are, whose nickname is the city that sits on seven mountains. One of them is Jerusalem. There is a difference between Rome and Jerusalem's nickname, however, because Jerusalem talks about some, some hills that are maybe off to the east a little ways, not actually inside the city. These seven hills are actually within the walls of Rome. It literally is the city that sits on seven hills. There are some key phrases in Revelation that means there's a, there's a, there's a serious clue coming up and you need to pay special attention to it. Seven times in chapters 2 and 3 you're going to see the phrase, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say to the churches. That's a, a 
key, that's a key that there is a serious clue coming up that you need to pay attention to. Um, let's see. You remember in Revelation chapter 13, we talked about he who, he who, he who goes into cap, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills by the sword shall die by the sword. You remember that verse? Right before that verse, you have this word, this phrase, he that has an ear, let him hear. When we are introduced to the mark of the beast, 666, Revelation says, here is wisdom. That means there is a serious clue coming up that you need to catch. In the book of Revelation, chapter 17, we have another phrase very similar that's going to come up in Verse 3. I'm sorry, no, it's verse 9. First, first, let's go to verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit on a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Question is, what are those seven heads represent? Well, verse 9 tells us. And verse 9 starts by saying, and here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains upon which the woman sits. If you look at mountains, it's, it's, it's a rising, a hill, or a mountain. Fourteen translations use the word hill. Thirty-two use mountains. This word sits, it doesn't mean a literal sitting like you're seeing in your chairs. It means to dwell or reside upon. This city actually is built and dwells and resides upon seven mountains, seven hills. Is that a positive ID that the villain of Revelation is Rome? Good question. Before you make me answer that, let's go on to the next topic. We'll come back to that next week, by the way. The city that sits on seven hills or seven mountains. It is directly mentioned by Revelation. Ten kings. Okay. Here is another topic that that premillennials like to have fun with. Ten kings. They want ten literal people. Let's see. Let's see what this, these ten kings are gonna are going to do. Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 through 17. It says, And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have received no kingdom yet. That's the ten horns of the seven-headed beast that the, that the woman is sitting on. They have no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. They shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he said unto me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. We'll come back to that next week, that verse. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, these shall hate the harlot and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast 
until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Ten kings. We know that, we know from some of Brother Glenn's sermons, we know from various places throughout the Bible, the number seven is a complete number. It's a perfect number. The number ten is also used to mean complete in the book of Revelation as well. If you would like to say that these ten kings are just a complete set of whoever God chooses to destroy the villain of the book of Revelation, that's, that's perfectly fine with me. I have no problem at all with that. Premillennialism wants real people assigned to this. So, if they want real people, let's give them real people. Characteristics of these ten kings, whoever they are, they do not have kingdoms of their own yet. We do know that these kings currently give their allegiance to the villain of Revelation, but God is going to put into their heart however he does that. God is going to put in their heart to hate the villain. This is, a, this is going to be a situation where once again, over and over again in the Bible and here in Revelation also, evil is used to punish evil. We see that throughout the Bible. Uh, the, Babylonian, the Babylonians and the Assyrians taking the Hebrews off into captivity because they quit worshiping God. The, uh, the Jews and the Romans colluding with one another to crucify Jesus, and then you have the Roman soldier piercing the side of Jesus, fulfilling prophecy. God uses evil to fulfill his will. And sometimes he uses evil to punish evil. That's going to be the case with these ten leaders. They have no love for God, and they certainly have no love for these Christians. But yet they are going to destroy the villain of the book of Revelation. God's going to put it in their, in their hearts, he says. This, this book says. These ten kings will hate, fight, and defeat the villain. Basically, God is going to enforce his judgment on the villain of the book of Revelation using inside players, using some of their own people who had allegiance to to the villain, but now are going to destroy it. You want people? Okay, here's your ten people. Premillennialists require these ten kings to be ten, ten people, then here's your ten groups. If you look at history, these are these are the ten major renegade barbaric groups of military people. I don't know what else to call them. They don't have a kingdom at this time. They're just renegade militaries. These are the ten that actually took down the Roman Empire. The Vandals from North Africa, the Alans from Spain, Suvians from Portugal, Visigoths from southwest France, Burgundians from Germany, the Franks from West France, the Saxons from Britain. If you've ever seen uh, the movie uh, Clive Owens where he plays King Arthur, they have a whole section in there talking about the Saxons. Same ones. The Huns from the Kazakhstan area, the Lombards from southern Italy, and the Astrogoths from the North Black Sea area. How do, you eat, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. These ten groups took a chunk out of, out of the, the Roman Empire 
one chunk at a time, and eventually there was nothing left of the Roman Empire. If Rome is the villain of Revelation, then here's your ten people. If, if premillennials want ten people, there's your ten people right there. Any comment on that? Yeah, if you go to these websites, you can read more about it. Uh, these, these groups are all over. I actually heard, I actually read one website that, that mentioned a name um, that's, that might be familiar to you. Alaric the Goth King. You remember that? You remember what Alaric did? In 410 AD, he went and burned Rome to the ground and took tons of silver and gold down to southern Italy and sat there waiting for the weather to clear so he could invade Sicily. While he was there, he died. Adolf Hitler believes that Alaric found the Ark of the Covenant in Rome and took it with him to South Italy. So Adolf Hitler sent a group of searchers to actually go to southern Italy to see if they could find this guy's grave and hopefully find the Ark of the Covenant. You remember that story? Okay. I'll, uh, yeah, we, we, when we were talking about Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark, when we were talking about the Lost Ark, that was one of the stories, that's one of the theories that behind where the Ark is. So there's your seven groups. Whoever the, book, whoever the villain is in Revelation, they were taken apart from the inside. It was insiders that did it. God didn't just send... Send a, a, a volcano like Mount Vesuvius and just wipe the place out. He had guys from the inside doing the job for him, passing his judgment on the villain. We have five minutes left. We don't have time to get through seven kings plus one. It's going to take a little while to cover that particular topic. So we have about four minutes left. Any comments on any of these topics? We can go all the way back to the kings of the earth if you want to. Hang on, hang on, let me uh, come back here. On the on the date that Revelation was, you use the term written. Do we have a no no earlier than and no later than? You know, kind of like a bookend. Yes, we do. Actually, we we do. Um, trying to think where my slide is. I don't remember. I don't remember where my slide is. I'm going to have to arrange my slides better so I can go grab one when I need it quickly. We have, the question was, do we have a book in from the earliest Revelation could be written to the latest that Revelation could be written? And we have a pretty good book in. We are told by Irenaeus that John was seen after, after Domitian died, Domitian Caesar Let's see, can I, I may have a little chart here. Let's go to this one without going into, okay, there we go. 
We have... Yeah, there, I dropped it. Let me turn on my little teleprompter. Okay. We know that Vespasian was the father of those two guys. He was the father of Titus, the father of Domitian. We know from Irenaeus that John was seen after the death of Domitian, at the end of Domitian's reign. So we have probably a 96 AD as the latest that probably the book of Revelation could be written. We are told definitely by Eusebius and Jerome both that it was it was Domitian that exiled John to Patmos. And we know that's true because it was consistent with history. Nero liked to kill people. He didn't, he didn't want to banish people. He wanted to kill them. Peter and Paul are two good examples. Domitian had a habit of exiling people. I don't, I don't know why he enjoyed exiling so much, but he did. Domitian had the ability to exile John to Patmos as early as 69 AD. And the reason is because his father Vespasian was ruler. And Domitian had military authority under his father's administration. Now, he didn't have near as much authority as General Titus. General Titus ran the whole show. But we do know, excuse me, we do know that Vespasian had his armies. He had military authority. He had the ability... He had the authority to put John on Patmos as early as 69 AD. There is no historical record that I am aware of that I've come across from any of these early early writings that says Nero actually put him there. So we, we have a book in from 69 AD according to these historical records. If you believe them, if you trust them, from 69 AD to 96 AD. Now, when we get to the seven kings plus... Well, I won't tell you that. Well, I'll just let that be a surprise. The seven kings plus one are going to give us just a little bit more insight into this. But that's, that's, a, that's a very long, complicated discussion, and we'll have to wait till next week to have that one. Most of these guys were killed by the guy who took over the Caesarship. Um, With the possible exception of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was not killed by Augustus. Augustus was actually adopted by Julius Caesar, so there was no murder there. Uh, You get down past Nero. Nero, the theory was that Nero's mother killed Claudius, and that gave Nero the throne. But the rest of these guys, you go down to Galba, Galba, these guys... With the exception of Vespasian, it is theorized that the guy who came after them is the one who killed him. So yeah, it was, that gets into that business where we have a symbol inside Revelation that talks about a seven-headed beast who had a mortal wound on the head, but the beast continued to live. That could have been talking about this right here, about how all these guys 
were sitting there killing each other off and you would think eventually a good one would come along and take over the the reins of of Rome and be a half-decent Caesar. But no, they were killing each other off, but the next one was just as bad as the previous one. But if, if you base it upon history, you're looking at, you're looking at, at an early possibility of 69 AD as far as 96 AD. We'll look at that a little bit more next week. There's some, a little bit of insight we can get from the seven kings plus one that will help with that. Good lead in for next week. Thank you. That is all. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.